I'm Isabel, she, her, hers. And I'm David, he, him, his. And we're two therapists with ADHD who sit down to have some chats about ADHD. We can't promise we'll stay on topic or be professional or even remotely mature, but we can promise that you'll end up looking at you or your loved one's beautiful neurodivergent brain in a shiny new way. This is not a therapy session. This is something shiny. I love it. Do you like uh, it? That's amazing. And can this just be the intro? You saying that and me freaking out about how amazing it is? Yeah. Did I, and you that dropping could, your voice? That could be, that could be our <laughs> first so intro. <laughs> so without further ado, welcome to Something Shiny. I'm David. <laughs> In this episode, David is going to be giving a presentation he gives to professionals and folks with ADHD all across the country. It's amazing. And he managed to give it to some of our neurodiverse and neurotypical friends and family, Christina, AJ, Gabe, and my husband, Bobby. Thank you so much for joining us, amazing friends and family. So for this episode, you're going to hear David talking about a PowerPoint presentation. Kind of hard to do over a podcast. So if you want to see some of these visuals he's talking about, go to our show notes to a link or go straight to our website, somethingshinypodcast.com. That's somethingshinypodcast.com. And you can check them all out for free. Part eight of David's lecture series, all about ADHD, where he switches from an overview of ADHD to addressing what to do with it and about it. For this one, it really helps for you to go back and listen to the other parts of the lecture series first, which you can find wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website, somethingshinypodcast.com. When we think about like how we can take behavior and make it more more fitting for context. Like I was working with somebody when I was in uh, like undergrad and I was doing this like respite work where I was taking this, this awesome kid out. We were going to hang out. This kid loved to scream and like really drove parents crazy and like couldn't stay in restaurants because loved screaming, not angrily, but loved who yell, right? Hear the sound and feel the feels of a loud. So I took him to a football game. Is there ever a time when you feel inappropriate for screaming at a football game? It's contextually appropriate. It's about finding environments where you fit in more. So the, that just got me thinking the romantic nature of danger, especially the wording. Uh, it, it makes me think of violence, right? Because there's an attraction to violence that I feel it is in people, but maybe it is more so in people with ADHD. Uh, and like just a... a a curiosity with that, you know, and I don't know how necessarily to say it, but like when I see a kid uh, aggressive toward another kid, it's not necessarily the awareness of like what that end result is, but it is like a romantic nature of like, oh, it's like exploring in a way, but it's not healthy at all because it's violent. Well, what or, I do, or and I also thought of hunting. That's better. That's that's right. Perfect. So, right. like hunting, I feel like is a a thing in our society that well, obviously we needed at one point, but a lot of people hunt still today because they probably like that. Yes, I think 
I think we could talk about the romantic nature of danger in a lot of different ways. And the only thing I'd pull back of around is violence. Because okay. I, don't, I don't see that. So like I could make uh, danger. So I'm going to like pick up this arbitrary thing in this room that no one that's listening to us can like hear or see, right? But it's a weird thing. And if I... It's an agate poster. It's a sliced agate poster. It's, it's beautiful. Actually, it truly is. Um, but what I, would, what I would say is if you were to say, hey, hold this to an ADHD person, they would not, they might be like, okay, and like they would start tossing it, right? But if you said, this is a one-of-a-kind piece that might be worth $200,000, can you please hang on to this for me? And now what I've done is I've dramatically increased the danger. You're not going to throw that around. You're going to take that more seriously. The stimulation's already embedded into it. So it's like talking about how we can make situations more dangerous in a safe way, right? Um, the romantic nature of danger is just like pushing limits. Like I see that all the time in the water cooler. <laughs> like I'll work with this, like a bunch of people and it's like, our water cooler at work, you can push this little button and like you watch it fill up the cup and inevitably in ADHD with, with some of my ADHD people that you'll see that these kids like fill it up so that it's like cresting the top. Like there's no way you can carry that the 20 feet to my office without spilling. But now they're going to try. And they were trying to see how much they could put in the glass. And now it's like, aha, the glass is full. Oh, buyer's remorse did not think about carrying it. Like, it's a very typical ADHD thing. And now it's dangerous. And they're very careful. And they're, like, spilling the water. There's lots of ways. And we think about this moment, you're actually talking about someone that is attending so well. They are focused on that water. I have a question about whether or not this is danger or if this is, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I joke with Isabel that I have this, what is it, That's So Raven moment. The, the, the plot of That's So Raven on, on Disney back and forever ago. You're talking about Raven Simone. Raven Simone. Oh, yeah. She could see the future, and then it, she'd like see a vision, and like, then it'd come back. Zoom in on her eye. And, and it would it be would, like, oh, you know, no. a bucket of water falling on her friend. And she's like, oh, I have to figure out how that, I can not make that happen. You know what I mean? Or I have to know what that is. I feel like I have those moments where I'll be like, it could be either something like, oh, I'm not going to go this way because I had this like for, foresight of, oh, I might trip and fall on here. Or it could just be like, no, I'm not going to go this way because it could cause a time lag and I won't get everything done. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it in this way. But I don't know if that has anything to do with the idea of danger. <laughs> What? And, and almost it's like being uh, like uh, aversion to crisis and aversion to, so, so I kind of try to uh, have that premonition and go, okay, well, what am I going to do? Okay, cool. It doesn't like petrify me. What it does is it helps me. But I mean, can I say what I think I'm hearing just as a guess? It's interesting though, because when you do do that visual, it suddenly does make it a little more like, oh, there's risk. Like, oh. That would be risky. Like it introduces risk into like a choice that might carry zero risk, right? Yeah. Like you turning left or right would be, you know, neutral. You're visualizing the danger and that motivates you to not work that way. But the important thing to think about is like how you need to see the danger to organize around it, not through it. You don't need to like hug the danger. <laughs> you don't have to like get, and, and everyone has a different level of tolerance to it, especially with a, in the ADHD population. But it's about knowing where the danger is. It's not that there's no danger here. It's super easy. It's like, well, okay, the one thing you want to be careful here is Miss McMullen, you don't step on her feet. And whatever you do with Mr. Tracy, offer him water. Like, and now what we did in this weird social garden party is we gave this kid two things to pay attention to. Now there's structure. It's not don't bother anyone, which is dead person behavior. 
It's like now there's okay. Don't want to step on her feet. Danger. Don't just run around recklessly. That, that explains like where every time we tell the toddler like, okay, we're going in, but there's a couple ground rules, right? Like no running, using indoor voices, and like no banging on the fish tanks or whatever it is, right? Right. And then suddenly behavior is very different. The funny part is remembering to do that right now. And that's and but but I hear but I hear that like you could do that with yourself like I could imagine walking it I could even imagine walking into a meeting and being like listen you're gonna probably say something that makes you feel like you said something dumb you know what you'll be fine so say something dumb and get it over with <laughs> I like bananas yeah, anyway exactly yes exactly. it's about owning that danger how much better would you feel if you made that mistake and got it out of the way I, I feel like I that's all I want to do now that I've thought of that I have it's, a great joke for you. Wait, let's. <laughs> no, it's interesting because this all come. This all. This all also sounds like what's called an accusational audit in negotiating, where you say all of the things up front. Oh, I love this. this you is say all of the things, things up front in a negotiation or in in a confrontation or in, in a meeting where things could get intense or 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 people want something out of it. But you say everything, you say all the accusations that either you're scared of hearing or you think the other person might think, and you get them out of the way. So I, I'm, so if, say I'm trying to negotiate a raise with you, I'll come in and go, now I know, I bet you're going to think that I'm this, you know, greedy coworker who, who doesn't appreciate what I already have. And, and I just, you know, and, and, and it's not, it's not, it's not that it's being passive aggressive, but it's like, I know that I'm going to sound like a completely ungrateful, you know, and, and worker and and that i don't think that you're a great boss uh and so you say all of the things yep and then the other person's going no 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 you know so you <laughs> so it's it's yeah can i can i hijack that for a second yeah, and put my own accommodation on that sure. that i teach like okay okay because oh i call it the dare technique and this is around asking for accommodations and what you're talking about is actually describing the dilemma that's what the d and dare stands for first you have to describe the dilemma and if i'm going to go with your example like I know money's tight. You're not handing out raises. The hard thing for me is that I feel like I've earned one and I don't know how to ask. I'm just giving you the dilemma. And now after D, we go to the A, right? And that's ask. I really want to raise. Okay. Or and, whatever the accommodation. Well, in this case, we're just going with what, yeah. what Bobby's talking about, right? I really want the raise. And then R stands for reinforcement. You reinforce the other person no matter what they say. It's like, it's like, thank you so much for listening. I know you can't give me this answer right now. Everything you're saying really makes sense. I really appreciate that. No, you saying no to me right now actually does make sense. I appreciate that because you're being honest with me. You're reinforcing whatever answer you're getting, even if it's not good. And the last one is E for, for dare, right? And it stands for empathize with the other person. But I want to be very clear what I mean by it. I wanted it to be negotiate, but I didn't want it to be. The, <laughs> it, it just changes the name of the technique in a way that I didn't want to change it to. So like. When you're empathizing, remember the other person's a human and try to negotiate closer to what your want is. If I can't have a raise now, like when should I ask you for it? When should I come back? You let them answer, you let them fix your problem. Yes. Yeah. And so the dare technique is what I teach kids, adults, everyone around how to have difficult conversations. Describe the dilemma, ask for what you want, reinforce the other person and empathize. That's why it stands for dare. Is that me global? No. <laughs> It, it will be. It will be. And now we're looking at collaboration as an accommodation. Can I briefly say that I work for a sales organization? And this is literally like, it's not spelled out as a acronym. However, this is the process that they teach you from day one. As you speak, you ask, 
they're going to say no, typically. So then you sort of, oh, hey, I hear what you're saying and then empathize. But then the differences in this case, the sales organization teaches you do it three more times. Yeah. This is, I've hybrid stole this from DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy. It comes from this thing called the Dear Man Technique, which has way too many steps for somebody with ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> dear Man, I just got it. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. instead of Dear Man, we're daring. Just dare. Just dare. I love it. But, sh oh. Thank was you. that a deep, a deep cut? It was the therapy it, world. Because dear, the words yeah. Dear Manny are all the, the, the letters stand for something. Oh. So <laughs> you put so many letters. Yeah. So, so what do you say to the, this concept? But on a person like, like when I was in uh, college, I was like, I want to see how fast I can go down this black diamond ski run without turning. Right. Cause it's like, this is risky. It's dangerous. Well, I got hurt. Okay. Going to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, well, that obviously is not good. It is. Is it? What? I, can I just slow that down? Sure. Is there anything I could have done to convince you you shouldn't do that? No. Would you have eventually, if you, if I stopped you that one day, would you have gone back another day and done it? Probably. Yeah. On another day, could have the consequences have been more severe? Yes. Maybe so. Will you ever try to do that again? So, no. And so, and so, it's, but so that was the, the romantic nature of the cliff. And that's how you had to learn that. There's no way you could have learned those limits until you've been like, nope, saw the mouth of the beast, not going back that way again. But that's how you had to learn. The impulse would have been so strong. It's like the Oreos, right? You would have been like, no, 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 I can't. Oh, yeah, I had a friend there who was like, dude, this is a terrible idea. I was like, oh, that's great. I mean, you probably thought, this is terrible, and then went. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> but I want to honor that, like, you needed to find that out, and it's about, like, figuring out how to do these things safely. Now, collaboration is one of the biggest accommodations people with ADHD can have, and they don't need somebody else with ADHD, but it's interesting. So we talked about before how everyone with ADHD has, like, lowered self-esteem so they actually have a greater counts to take injury but people that don't have adhd uh like they want to protect them from taking injury so you'll they'll sack the body for another person like like your partner could be why you're late but like you're the adhd person going like no no my fault i'm late or i'm the one that passed gas or like every time i see it the adhd person likes jumping on the grenade now there's a part about this that's important because collaboration is accommodation meaning Having another person to protect is an accommodation. If you have a classmate, you're working on a project, you'll probably be more organized because you're not willing to let them fail. You could fail. You're not going to let them down. It's sometimes kids need to study just with their parents. So like, hey, grab your book, come on down here, and you can like read, read or write. Don't get on a computer or something like that, but just sit there while they're doing it. You're body doubling. Body doubling is a registered technique to work with ADHD. It's collaboration is an accommodation. You don't have to do it yourself. Coincidentally, based on everything else we've talked about, if you're sitting down and you're joining somebody, think about the structure you just put into free time. We're all studying now, not just you. Getting kids to work in groups or finding group members with complementary, not competing uh, strengths. So I'm a person, and this is where we go right into owning vulnerabilities. I'm a person with a, like a fifth grade spelling level. I have a learning disability around spelling. You don't want me writing things on the board. But I'm really good in front of people, so like I'll talk about a presentation. Who wants to write it out? And now when you're looking for partners, you're looking for complementary skills. If, if you have the same skill, you're going to fight to see who does it. Something, something about that strikes me about uh, parenthood, too, because I feel like 
it made my ADHD come out in a way. I mean, I, I, I partly owe the fact that I think I even recognize ADHD to just how much it changed so much that I couldn't nothing like essentially it was the reason all my old accommodations stopped working. The structure. But like, I'll like, you know, there's something that's happens now when like my kid goes down for a nap that I am, I am so much more, I get so much more shit done than I've ever gotten done literally in my entire life. I feel so much more productive as a human. And I don't think I'm not even buying into like the Western, like, Oh, it's productivity. I just, it's the confidence. It's like the fact that like, oh, it didn't take me, you know, six years to like remember to do the thing. It's because, oh, I have I have this risky amount of time. The kid could wake up any moment. So there's danger. I could be interrupted. It's precious. And it's like the only time I have in the day to like do whatever the things are. Yeah. And so it's interesting because when you say the collaboration with people, like sometimes it's not it's like. It's just knowing what your responsibility is to people or not even that, they're in the room. I don't know if that. Yes. No, no. It, I would actually say you look at the environment. You're figuring out the environmental variables perfectly right now. And I want to just like you're exactly on it. And it's the, the next step, the metacognitive step would be to wait and save things during the day for nap time to do. Yes. And then the funny part now is like, oh, no, if they're refusing a nap or it's not happening, then like, how do I not lose my shit? Uh, not on them, on inside, on I like, my. This isn't. This is, of course, like you don't need to hear this, but I like telling people that you know you don't have to like go to sleep, but you can't leave your room. Oh no, I do that. Yeah, yeah that's still happens. But right. then the sound makes it tough, and then it's like a whole. Or look, that we think about earmuffs, or we think about like other other accommodations, but like there are ways to use other people like that. Um, I work with an individual who is struggling to get to the office on time. Um, and if they took their kids to school, they always got to the office on time. Because you have to be at school at a certain point. You have to be there, right? And you can't let your kids get hurt because, like, you, you wouldn't ever, like, you have to jump on the grenade for them. So you get hyper-organized, you get your kids to school, right? And then instead of going back home, you hit the train, you go to work. It's about using other people as the accommodation in, a, in, in ways that do not foster dependency. If you are dependent on the other person as an accommodation, it will foster aggression. Every place where you see dependency, you see aggression. Period. Group dynamics 101. The more you need something and the, the more likely it gets taken away, the more like incensed you become. So the thing that I'm most dependent on right now is, I would say, the son. And then after that, my partner. If somebody took my partner or somebody made it so the sun didn't rise, I would lose my shit. You mean, you mean tomorrow in Chicago? I mean, tomorrow the sun doesn't rise. Probably not going to happen. I will lose. I will be walking. No, no, but I mean, like, if I go outside at, and I mean this, think about this. You go outside at, like, 11 o'clock, and it's pitch black. How would you feel? What if we teleported you to the Arctic Circle? I would love that, actually. But, but if it happened in Chicago, I would actually get very angry. Who took the sun? I would be like Inspector Gadget going after the claw to get the sun back. I don't know, I'm assuming Inspector Gadget and the claw and something happened there with the sun. My, my point is in saying like, if and more importantly, like I care and love my partner so much, like I'm one of the nicest dudes ever and I will, I will lose it if like one person, one person one time like put, like they were just walking in, they like pushed my, my partner out of the way. 
and and like my partner was like, made this noise. We're like, oh, okay. And like it was, they played it off in a way that was like they weren't upset by it. And I remember the second the person moved through them, I had this urge to reach into their soul and take it. <laughs> and then I saw my partner like not be upset. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna relax too. And like that was it. But but collaboration is an accommodation as long as it's not dependency. I need you to pack the lunches tomorrow, and if I don't, and then if the lunches aren't packed, how upset are you actually going to be mm. for the, getting the kids to school? So it's like, can you do the lunches? Yes. Now it's not a dependency. So every day I have to leave, you got to get the lunches ready. Now it's a dependency. And making the asks happen often are important because then if the person says no, there's accountability for you to be able to take care of yourself the next day. It can't be fostered independency. I understand. Just ask more. Ask more, but we're trained. Don't assume. Don't assume. But we're trained to ask less because people with ADHD are told no, like so many times before breakfast than everyone else hears all week. I have so many bad ideas all day. I have to say no all the time. Truly, like, like, okay, I want two Italian beefs. No, (laughs) just one. Like, it's... It's hard, and so it's like the bad idea police. You don't want to say bad ideas, and you don't want to deal with rejection, and it's hard to be rejected and denied. And we need to build dis- like more distress tolerance around those asks. That's what therapy is all about. That's that's what it's supposed to help you to ask. Take exposure to it, like a little bit. Give it, give it chances. Like try it out, and you survive, and you do it more. You ever gotten cereal and found that there's like a prize in the bottom, but but there's like five prizes that you have to collect. You got to collect them all. Well. My lecture is being broken up into small prizes that are found at the bottom of cereal boxes, except instead of a cereal box, it's this podcast, and we will slowly be releasing them. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever had that thought where you think, hey, I'm nothing, stop. Remember, you're something. Something's shiny. That's right. Just as you are. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more free episodes of this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Instagram as Something Shiny Podcast. And if you're looking for more information, useful links, definitions, visuals, everything we can think of, and more is on our website at somethingshinypodcast.com. And it's all free. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks.